On this episode of the World Cup Project, I speak with PSG Talking founder and contributor David Wood about PSG and the World Cup. We speak about the history of the club and how it is intertwined with the international game. From Rukato and Fernandez to Ronaldinho and Mbappe, we discuss how the team has changed under Qatari ownership and how that has affected the club overall. We go in-depth on each PSG player and what their roles may or may not be on their respective national teams in 2018 and beyond. I'm your host, Mark Damon. Join us as we examine PSG's relationship to the most majestic tournament in the world. It's PSG in the World Cup, here on the World Cup Project. David Wood, welcome to the World Cup Project. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. And I thank you for ha- th- thank you for coming on to the show. And we've got a lot to discuss today. This is going to be one of the rare. This is the rare show uh, in this series where we mix PSG and the World Cup. I wanted to sort of keep them separate for the most part. I wanted to sort of do a pretty much a clean World Cup um, series. But I really did feel like, as the PSG podcast, as the PSG people, we kind of had to connect the two at some point. So, David Wood, it is your task today to help me connect the two. We'll talk about the players, we'll talk about the club a little bit, and uh, we'll have some fun. But before we get to that, I would like you to explain to the listeners, some of whom will be hearing you for the first time, how you got into football, why you love the game, how you became a PSG fan, and how you got caught up in this sort of wacky, crazy uh, fan site podcasting business. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, the, the short version is, um, Dave, uh, I've been a, been a contributor at PSG Talk basically since since day one. Um, I was approached by, by Ed, the, the founder of the site, who's actually been on this. Um, he, he was basically just looking for writers, and I thought, well, why the hell not? Um, you know, recently graduated and just kind of needed somewhere to put the creative energy in, um, and uh, as for my as for my soccer history, um, I like many other American fans. You know, my my introduction as a kid was, um, you know, I'm 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 Hispanic, so it's just kind of a kind of a heritage thing. Um, you know, watching watching the World Cup with family. Uh, so the World Cup um, is obviously like a huge. Um, it's it's a very important memory. Um, the one that I remember like the most clearly, like following through, was was '06, um, and of course, what th- nobody stole the show in '06 like France. Um, so I've always been a I've always been a francophile, both in, like historically and, and and in football terms. Um, and so a lot of like it, it kind of proceeded that as I became a more serious football fan, I I, uh, I gravitated towards um, French teams um, and. You know, it just it it just kind of happened that at the time I got into it, um, PSG were very much on the ascension. Um, so I kind of followed the story of the team up to now. Um, and, you know, I've been I've been doing uh, the the longer form podcast for for a couple of years now. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of my bio. Uh, so I'm I'm pretty rooted in um, in French football uh, in terms of my knowledge, uh, and I know a spot of Mexican stuff here here and there. Absolutely. And I wanted to start sort of in general with the World Cup as a gateway to fandom and just sort of 
and you kind of touched on it, but I just kind kind of want you to elaborate on it a little bit more in that you watch something every four years, and that's how I got into it. I watched the World Cup in 02 and 06, and, and I probably told this on other shows that we've done, but I didn't really know in 02 and 06 that there were even really club teams. So it seems to me like it was the the allure of that 06 France run that sort of got you interested in French football as opposed to maybe Premier League, which seems like the pick of choice for most American um, most American football fans. Right, yeah, all the, all the Arsenal and Manchester United shirts running around um, and the occasional Liverpool one. Uh, yeah, no, it was it was it was the World Cup as as my preferred medium um, of, of entry, and then you know just whatever other uh, whatever other things that uh, an American tween can get, you know, video games. <laughs> you you fire up you fire up uh, League Gun and you just scroll through the teams and, and see what's interesting there. Um, and you know Paris when you, when you think of France, you think of Paris as as a, a metropolitan estate, as that is. <laughs> No, and and I I can even admit that the thing that drew me to the team at first when I was you know vi- once when I visited France and then a couple years after when I sort of got more into football is that logo, and I think it's one of the underrated logos in sports in the sense that it's an immediate identification. Like you look at that logo and you see you see the Eiffel Tower. And you automatically know, like you don't have to know any, like it, you don't have to know anything else. You see that logo, and it's Paris, as opposed to like London. There's no, you know, Big Ben isn't on Arsenal's logo or you know Chelsea's logo, and I'm not even sure what there is in Manchester besides you know steel factories. But that lo- that logo, just talk about it for a second, and just talk about sort of the appeal of Paris to an outsider as somebody who looks at it maybe from afar as opposed to somebody who maybe even lives in France all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and there's also the uh, there's kind of the, the like the historical appeal of that little fleur de lis yeah. um, that's that's off now and I understand that in, in in terms of like a global vision but still, you know, kind of fun. Um, I'm trying to think of other things that might have, uh, you know, Ronaldinho uh, around the same time um, was kind of leaving. Uh, the, he, he was on his way out of PSG um, at, at, at the period that I got into it. Um, but at the same time, you know, just such a high profile player being linked with uh, with the club like that. Um, that's also pretty huge. Uh, in terms of international audience, you know, you want to go up and, and learn more about Ronaldinho as he's as he's on his way into Barcelona. Um, your your, you know, his introduction to Europe is at PSG, um, and that's where you're, that's where people are, are going to be looking. Yeah, and let's let's start about let's start with PSG, and then we'll kind of connect it into the main sort of central topic. So PSG was founded in 1970, and for about the first, let's say, 10 years of its existence, it sort of hung on life support in the sense that it was essentially an idea to bring this mega team to the city of Paris. And, it, and it's really hard to start a football team from scratch, especially when you have so many more historic clubs around it. So 
in a certain sense, you look at Paris now and you see all of the money that's been put behind it, and you don't think of PSG as sort of an underdog in that sense. But this was a club that for many years in its beginning, until it was sort of bought by the fashion designer Daniel Hecker, you, you didn't think that that... You, you, this club was an underdog club in that sense. So at the very beginning, you wouldn't necessarily see a lot of high-profile players playing for PSG. You had a few. You had, um, you had uh, Carlos Bianchi. You had um, Dominique Rocato. But, right. yeah, just sort of, I try to connect, and, I, and I'm, I'm trying to kind of search for the words in the sense, but those early years of PSG and sort of how out of the European loop it kind of really was. Yeah, um, well, like, one of the one of the periods from, from football's past that I'm most familiar with and, and kind of entranced by is that, that great 80s France team, um, and the anchor of of that um that team it's it's it was the um i forget the manager's name um his name was uh michel hidalgo that's right so michel hidalgo's france team in, in the in the first half of the 1980s um they would they played this four-man diamond midfield uh, called the the carré magique the magic square and the anchor of that was was luis fernandez uh, who was um uh, I think he's uh, Spanish-born, but played for France his entire life. Um, he was he was a PSG player, and you know, still a, a club Hall of Famer, um, famous not only as as a player but as a manager. Um, and he was there, uh, and I think that kind of added a certain prestige, knowing that he he's representing France at the highest level. He wins the nineteen eighty four Euro um, it, with a you know it's Michel Platini's French team. You know it's it's about as high profile as you can get. Um, still, arguably the the best national team the the country has fielded. Um, you know there, there there will be the Zidane debate, but you know it's it really was a phenomenal team, and uh, Fernandez in such a high profile role playing for. Um, playing in the capital club of France and then bringing the national honors. Um, I think that was a big boost. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, um, it wasn't too much longer before, uh, there was some, uh, TV investment, um, in the club as well. So, um, yeah, that would have been canal plus, I believe. Yeah. And um, just for, just for reference, Luis Fernandez played almost 200. He made almost 200 appearances for PSG in his career, 30 goals. He, managed the team from 1994 to 96 and then from 2000 to 2003. Now, this was in an era and you can uh correct me or elaborate on this before France really started to export their players. And this was uh, I guess you would say the golden age of the French league in that pretty much every good player that played for the France national team also played in France for the most part. Now, you may point to some exceptions, but I think just talk again about sort of why it's important for a club like PSG, especially in its early stages, to have that presence on the national team and to have their players in the World Cup before they sort of became a little bit more of a an international team, for lack of a better term. Yeah, um, 
you know, like the 70s and 80s, I know, were like a huge domestic period, um, especially I think it's under that, that great Saint-Étienne team. Um, and I think as you look into the 80s, that's kind of the waning period of, the, of their dominance. But it's still a really competitive uh, time. Like the, um, I, think it, I think it's 85 that, that PSG won their first league title. Um, so, you know, it, it, there's, that's just one year after Fernandez's, um, after Fernandez's Euros win. Um, so being plugged into that um, internationally and then bringing home success domestically, um, that's, that's big for the club in a period where the French league is, is very competitive. Um, it's, it's got a lot of, uh, it's got a lot of teams in the, in the mix. It's got a lot of teams with history. Um, you know, you see Nantes and Bordeaux and then you kind of give way to, um, to an era of Marseille's dominance. Um, but still, uh, still really significant. Um, and, um, Luis Fernandez uh, comes back into play as, as that uh, the manager that brings Ronaldinho in. Although uh, they don't, they didn't uh, get on very well, as as I think Guillaume has said multiple times. Um, he remembers the period of frustration frustration with Fernandez as the manager benching Ronaldinho for disciplinary reasons when really the team can't afford it. Yeah, and it's it also, and I'm just going to pull back a little bit into the '90s. You had um, David Ginola who played for the club. George Weah, who I would say, if you had to make a list of best players of all time that never made the yeah, World Cup, George Weah has to be, I think, in the top five. Yeah, probably. A uh, list of heads of state that never played in the World Cup, he's on there. Yes, he, he, he has made a list. Yeah, it's a much, yes, exactly. <laughs> and um, I think this is where you start to get the other sort of connection, the the connection, it's an interesting one, too, between PSG and Brazil. And you start seeing it in the 90s, and you start seeing it with Valdo, and you start seeing it with Rai. Right. Both players did play in World Cups. Rai played in the 94 World Cup. I think Valdo played in the 94 as well. Talk about the relationship between PSG and Brazil. Because it's really the first time where I think it's like it's almost like PSG's second home in a sense. It's almost like right. you get players from France playing at PSG, and then you get players from Brazil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think you know Valdo and Rai they overlap a little bit um, in their time at the club, and, and the mid '90s was a very good time uh, for PSG. This was kind of a this is kind of an overlooked period, I think. But you see, like their first. Um, their first uh, international or continental trophy. Um, you know, they, they won the league on in, in 94, um, the cup winners cup in 96 over Barcelona is still like, uh, uh, you know, it, it's something that people forget about because the trophy is basically defunct, but this was a big win over a big team. Um, and you know, that wasn't exactly Barcelona's low era. Um, you know, it, it, having this presence and, and them being, uh, you know, captains uh, for the club, Rye especially, I know is still um, like a, a huge club ambassador in Brazil. Um, and there's a lot of people that, uh, a lot of a lot of current PSG fans in Brazil, um, now that the club has really have, had the opportunity, the financial opportunity to, to open those channels and, um, and like get, get fans overseas involved in the team. Uh, it's Rai is one of those uh, figures that the club still parades around um, because he was really. Um, it's it's a weird situation because um, you get guys like Rai and, and a more contemporary example, uh, Pauletta, 
also Portuguese speaking, um, but you know, Portuguese, not Brazilian. Um, these guys who didn't spend their entire careers here, and really in the big scheme of things, maybe didn't even spend that long in PSG, um, but they displayed a certain, like, uh, just a certain hunger and a loyalty that connected with the fans in that, and, you know, this was a, an era of, of um, you know, PSG's ultras being in full swing, being loud, being, you know, renowned across the country, across the continent. Um, you know, they, they developed a real connection with the fans that even as they're retired, they're still kind of um, rallying points. Um, you know, I know a lot more about Rye than I know about Baldo, um, but certainly they were both there yeah. um, for that first league win. And as the team sort of, and I would say they had that early, PSG had those early glory years in the mid-80s. They had the mid-90s, and I would say probably carried into the early 2000s, which is where Ronaldinho sort of comes into the picture. And this is, I would say, the first time that PSG had a legitimate sort of, I guess you'd call him a world, a world star in the sense that he was at the club while he was helping to Brazil to dominate that 2002 World Cup. So I always feel there's that connection of you see a player for the first time, maybe at the World Cup, and you see a team or a player at the first time, and you see how you, you fall in love with that sort of Ronaldinho magic. And then you ask the question, well, where can I see more of him? You know, the World Cup is over. Where can I watch this guy play? Oh, he plays for Paris Saint-Germain. So I take a lot of, I guess, pride, and I put a lot of stake in having players from your club at the World Cup as sort of ambassadors for the team and examples of sort of where you are. Again, good teams, you talk about the best teams in the world, pretty much their entire starting 11 is going to be playing in the World Cup for somebody's national team. The good teams will have like five or six, and then you'll have the teams that will barely have any. So... Talk about Ronaldinho, because I really feel like he's the first, I wouldn't call him the first PSG megastar, but the fact that he became, he reached his height, essentially, as a player by winning the World Cup in 2002 and playing well enough domestically in Paris to get that move to Barcelona in 2003. Uh, yeah, no, no, I, I, I don't know if I can add anything to that. I think you're, I think you're spot on. Um, I, you know, I, I remember in, in, in 2006 that the conversation is still around him. You know, it's, it's, um, he was just one of these players that, that was larger than life, and um, yeah, it, it brought a lot of prestige. And now, if you connect that contemporarily um, to where we are now, you know, we, we have. We're we're still kind of competing for the for the conversation, um, you know, the signing of Neymar, for example, um, and this was this was a big season to reemphasize that Brazilian connection uh, with uh, with the yellow kit uh, celebrating PSG's Brazilian heritage. Um, we got a Brazilian captain, the highest paid player, the star player, the number ten is Brazilian once again. You know, it's it's. Um, it's odd to see a club so tuned in 
to an audience abroad. Um, and you can be kind of cynical about that and just try and try and say that, well, it's just a way to legitimate the Neymar money. Um, but, you know, there is something there. There is a certain there is a certain sentimentality there. And I don't think anybody can take that away from Paris. Um, you know, and, and when you look at teams in the World Cup, Brazil are certainly one of the most storied ones. Uh, so having PSG representatives there is always um, always important. It's always a good reminder that there's there's a contingent. Uh, of players at that team that are on on the one of the biggest international teams in the world that are always going to have um, that PSG connection, whether they're current or former players. And the first, um, as we move this forward, the first um, World Cup under the Qatari. Um, well, you know what? Let's back up a little bit. Let's just for those of you that may be tuning in for the first time and you've been following the series and you don't necessarily listen to our PSG stuff, just go kind of quickly into the Qatari takeover in the sense of where the club was before it and what that takeover ended up doing for PSG and how sort of monumental that shift was. And I would say in the sense of, if you really want an idea of that, look at the lineup they were fielding in 2010 Versus the lineup they fielded in 2013. Right. Um, you know, it, it's, it's hard to imagine a, a time when, like in, in 2010, you just mentioned they finished 13th. And uh, there's, you know, it's not a good time for the club. Uh, top goal scorer is, is Mel, uh, Melvut Erdink. Who, uh, whose name I still struggle with, but I remember Guillaume, uh, Guillaume hates this guy in a way. Uh, <laughs> um, but you know, it's 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 just it's it's very surreal to imagine that that the Capital Club is being is being talked about and thought about um, in that way. Um, you know, because the way we imagine it now is is something that's very much been built up over eight years of. Uh, <laughs> Eight years of, of kind of investment and success and, and um, but you know it's only a few years ago that the club has has uh, built up that that expectation of winning the quadruple every year you know Blanc won the first one then there were celebrations all around and now it's like well if you don't do it if you miss if you miss out on a domestic cup then then it's a failure of some kind um, but yeah like when, when the club takes over um, in, in twenty when when Qatar takes over in, in twenty eleven, it's like you, you the the squad's in such a it's in such a mediocre spot that it doesn't even win the league under Ancelotti. Um, and you have great players. I mean, Nene was was great. He was fantastic to watch. Um, you have uh, at at this point, um, Blaise Matuidi comes in. Uh, Alex, who is perfectly good center back, uh, even even. Um, even fantastic at times. I, I certainly have very good memories of Alex. Um, and then uh, Pastore comes in in 2011. Mata comes in in 2011. Sirigu, who is still uh, is still remembered fondly, I think, by many supporters. Um, and you also have holdovers. I mean, you've got you've got Christophe Jallet, who's a serviceable right back, but he's not exactly superstar quality. You've got uh, you know you've got Mohamed Sissoko, who the club bought with money. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> um, you have guys like Clément Chantôme, which the, the academy was previously uh, churning out. Um, you know, it, it's it's a mixed period. It's definitely like it, there's there's more in common in 2011 with that 
kind of ramshackle investment Manchester City. I don't know if people remember that, but just like having to overpay to such an incredible degree that all of the players are are on ridiculous uh, paychecks because the the you know the, the idea of a project is you have to you, you have to spend. Um, to be able to, to catch up to these other teams. Um, but in fact, that ends up being that you end up overpaying for players that aren't just going to be... They're going to be kind enough to drop down a level um, to get paid more. Yeah. Uh, so that was very much reminiscent of the dark days of, of you know foreign investment in European football. Uh, and then in, in, in 2012, um, you know, on my birthday, in fact, Zlatan Ibrahimovic signs, and that kind of marks a true departure <laughs> into the next... Um, and Tiago Silva in the same deal. But yeah, that, that's, that's I think, the transition into what yeah. we find ourselves now in the, in the current <clears throat> era. Although you could argue that it, there's, like, there's like a pre and post Zlatan. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I would say that you go to that 2014 team and you have a mixture still of sort of peripheral World Cup players in the sense that they're on the squad, but they're not necessarily um, integral to their squad. So, you know, let's talk Lavezzi and uh, Jale and Digne and, um, in that sense, Blaise Matuidi, who started a little bit, but he was... I wouldn't say he was one of the better French players at that time, although you can argue that he was more valuable for PSG than he probably was for France in 2014. But you also then look at Thiago Silva, who was probably the most high-profile PSG player in that World Cup, and sort of his performance. And I think people forget, because it's been a while, and the 7-1 just sort of stands over all. Thiago Silva did not play in that game. Yeah, he was. Although he gets he gets flack for that as well. Which again, I think is really it's a really hard connection to make, but kind of explain why he gets flack for that. Well, there's the I believe it's the previous game. He's on a suspension, and uh, there's the there's the idea that he got an easily avoidable yellow in order to avoid having to play against Germany. I, I believe that's the kind of conspiracy theorist approach to it. Yeah. I, un- I understand criticism of Thiago Silva as a captain, uh, because just the fact that there are so many inquests about that role uh, leads me to believe that maybe there are some questions asked if he really is the best the best guy for the job. Um, on the other hand, maybe it's just the media being, you know, voracious about PSG. But, yeah, I, I don't think there's really substance to the, yeah. to the idea that he purposefully <coughs> skipped out. Yeah. And but he didn't play it. He did not he play. Did play. The, two, the two center backs that played were um, Dante, who's now in, who's out in Nice, actually, believe it or not, and David Luiz, who... Ironically enough, we signed right after that, which I, I for better or for worse, but I, I was never the I was never the biggest Tiago Silva. Uh, sorry, I was never the biggest uh, David Luiz fan. I just always felt like he was always in the wrong position. That just him playing center back to me in a back two just never really worked. In that you just you you were never any time any team countered, you were always sort of you know crossing your fingers, hoping you know. That he would be able to get back there and not fall over himself. But right. let's before we go into 2018, let's talk about Zlatan for a minute. Because why not? We can't do a PSG podcast without talking about Zlatan. Right. So still in the shadow. Still in the shadow, although not as much as we were. Um, 
he does not make the World Cup in 2014. And I find that and I find that to be interesting in the sense that he is PSG, if not PSG's best player, he's their he's their face. And from 2012 to 2016, PSG for better or for worse, I've said that a lot, but that you tend to say that when you talk when you talk about PSG. Yeah. Zlatan was PSG. And just sort of what I just his international career I think is an interesting one cuz he does he's from Sweden, he's been part of that um he I, I just feel like he should have had a better international career than he did, even though he had a very good international career. But but, but you go back, 2010, they didn't make it. 2014, they didn't make it, and he was their best player. Fast forward to 2018, he doesn't play in any of the qualifying. They make it to the World Cup. What does that say about Zlatan? Well, yeah, it's it, he's a weird one because he's never won the big trophy. He's always, always winning league titles, always praised for kind of consistency yeah. in, in, in the little things and, and never for the big games. Um, and, you know, I was a big Zlatan detractor towards the end of his time at this club. I know, I know how that is. Um, but, you know, you look at the first half of his Sweden career and his goal record was not the best and his the fans were not super hot on him. Uh, whereas the second half, he really had a renaissance after like 29, um, and became a a very consistent, um, undroppable player for Sweden. Um, in 2014, I think that was the crazy game with Portugal, the like 4-4, where Ronaldo and him both scored a hat trick or something. Was, am I, am I correct there? I think you are, yes. Yeah, so that was kind of the most outlandish way, uh, for... Let's see. Oh yeah, so Sweden Portugal 2013. But that had been in the qualifying, right? Yeah, that was the that was the playoff. So one of the two, and it was uh, the big story was Latan against Ronaldo, and it was two three with two goals from Sweden, uh, two goals from from Zlatan for Sweden, and then three uh, for Portugal. Um, and that was also the game, uh, coincidentally, bringing that back to PSG, uh, where Ronaldo uh, it net a hat-trick to level him with uh, Pedro Mio Pauleta as Portugal's record goal scorer. Um, so that that was that was kind of the swan song, I think, for, for that chapter, uh, because that was really his big prime. Um, that 2014-2015 Zlatan was just walk, walking all over um, the, the French League. Um, and he was fun to watch, regardless of what you thought of the team's play with or without him. You know, you, you couldn't deny that he was there was something very enjoyable uh, about Zlatan. And it's hard for me to believe that he might um, actually miss out on, on this World Cup. I mean, you know, it's, it's I guess... All of the stuff that PSG fans were saying, like, oh, well, the team ethos is better without having to put up with him dictating the tempo. And then suddenly Sweden, you know, they qualify without him. Um, it's the same kind of thing. At the same time, I am hard-pressed to believe until I see the final squads. Maybe this is just my naivete speaking, but I am hard-pressed to believe that he would actually miss it. Um, you know, maybe he's just going to be garbage for the rest of the L.A. season. But you can see it when he left Paris. There's a hunger. There's a desire. There's a there's a serious like fire and maturity um, that Ibrahimovic brings to a squad. He's a locker room leader. Um, 
And if he's good enough to start in a cup final for United and win it, then I, I certainly think he's good enough to come off the bench for Sweden and, and do something for them. I mean, who, who, who are you going to get instead? You know, Alexander Isaac, he doesn't play for Dortmund. Um, you know, it's, it's very... It's, it's hard for me to believe that he actually will miss out. Um, I guess if it's the decision of the coach that the team needs to move on, then I, I guess PSG fans understand that, should understand that better than anyone. But yeah. um, as an outsider, it's still hard. It's, it's hard to, to conceptualize that. The, the issue they're going to have is at some point in that, um, in that, um, in that group, they're going to play Mexico. And it's probably going to be nil-nil in the 60th or the 70th minute. And whichever team scores the goal in that moment is probably going to advance out of that group alongside of Germany. And when the Swedish coach looks to the bench and he sees Noslatan, I think at that moment he's going to realize why they could use Slatan Ibrahimovic. Yeah. Yeah, like absolutely. you, in theory, in principle, you can say no. He retired in 2016. He didn't show up to any of the. He didn't show up to any of the qualifying, and he just wants to kind of show up at the end and get his, you know, and get his participation award. I, I get that. I get that sentiment. And on a later show, we'll talk to an actual Swedish person about this exact topic. Um, everything PSG on Twitter. And I just feel like they're going to miss him when they really need him, which is going to be kind of a shame because you, I really kind of would like to see a, a late Zlatan goal in a World Cup game. That just, I, I would find that to be fun. I, yeah. I, you know, just, I'm sure he wasn't a lot of fun for the players that had to play with him or the managers that had to manage him, but just from a fan's perspective, he's a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think yeah. the World Cup's going to be a little bit, a little bit, not a lot, but just a little bit less without him. Now we're going to get to the meat of what we're here to do, which is to talk about this current 2017-2018 Paris Saint-Germain squad and their sort of um, place or lack thereof in their national teams and what their prospects may or may not be. So we are covering everybody that is on the current roster. We are not covering anybody that's out on loan. So we're not talking Gonzalo Geddes. We're not talking about um, Edson Oduard or any of those people. We're talking about the people that are on the squad now. And we're going to go by team. So we're going to go by national team. So we're going to start with France. And we're going to get a couple names out of the way early. So from the little that you've seen of Sebastian Cibois, do you see him ever? <laughs> do you ever see? <laughs> do you ever see him making it into the France squad? Um, you know, uh, just, if you can just give me a few seconds. He's got to pull up his tape. Yeah, <laughs> pull up his uh, tape. If you just gotta. Give me a few seconds to Google this man. He is our third goalie, by the way. Okay, <laughs> I see. Um, uh, you know, I think if uh, if he's got a second nationality, maybe for Gibraltar, I don't know. You never know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I've, I'm not, 
I'm not a huge fan. I don't really rate Sebastian Sibwa highly, <laughs> as you can tell. Yes, you're doing a great job, too. Um, we got to be completist. So to, to go from that to another um, talking about being completist, Hatem Ben Arfa. Uh, yeah. Um, talk about whatever you'd like with Hatem Ben Arfa here, because I, I, we haven't talked about him a lot, but he's been sort of a peripheral story this year. The gift that keeps on giving, as yeah. as some would say. I am not inclined to. Be, uh... I'm not inclined to believe a lot of dirt sheets, but I believe every word that everyone has ever written about Ben Arfa. Um, it's just it, it's just too good to be true, you know. It, and, and yet I believe it all. Uh, it's just so funny, you know. This guy, he's my Twitter header. I love the guy. Um, I think if Deschamps really wants to go out with a bang, call up Ben Arfa. Just do it. Just do it. Why not? Um, I mean, I, I, I am not a big fan of Deschamps, but this would endear him to me so very much. Um, in all seriousness, Ben Arfa will never play for France again. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm glad we got that, that out of the way. Um, Lasana Diara, uh, could he possibly sneak into the 23-man squad and provide some depth for Deschamps in that midfield? I think if he had played consistently for us uh, throughout the end of the season, but instead he has A, not played, and B, when he has played, he's been rather unimpressive. So, yeah, he's not getting in with the midfield that France have. Um, There's just too many options, and no one is going to unseat Conte. Um, I mean, frankly... We might still see Musa Sissoko in the squad because Deschamps is a stubborn guy, but um, it, it, it would be certainly uh, – if, if there's room for Musa Sissoko, there is not room for Diara. Um, Christopher Nkanku, um, 19 years old, shows flashes whenever Unai Emery decides he wants to play him, and has shown that he can be a – competent, more than competent midfielder against certain Liga teams. He's gotten some Champions League games in the past. Not a lot of minutes in them, but he's gotten some time. Is he 2022? Or is there still sort of a logjam in the midfield where he he just becomes one of those guys that's a good player that never really breaks his national team? Um, well, okay, uh, the two things I have to say kind of contradict one another. Number one is that Deschamps is a – he loves hardworking kind of box-to-box type players. They're, they're his favorite. Um, now, Nkunku is a, a very forward-minded midfielder. I think trying to place him deeper is kind of a mistake. Um, he's even played on the wing, and he's scored. Um, you know, we've also seen him play fullback, right back, and he hasn't really been awful. Um, so he's a he's a versatile player who is technically sound, and I think he has a lot of potential. I think he could certainly feature as a rotational option for both international team and PSG in in the future, um, assuming he doesn't get the itch to leave. If he does leave, if he leaves Paris and he finds a first team spot somewhere, you know, I don't know, starting for freaking Crystal Palace or something for the next few years, then. Um, I think he can crack the national team, but be one of those kind of kind of midfielders that just kind of gets three or four caps um, in token friendlies when he's on a hot streak. Um, I'd, I'd like for him to prove me wrong because he's certainly an exciting player when he's on, uh, but I just don't really see uh, – I don't see the ceiling being that high for him that he cracks the national team um, with any more than 
uh, like those token-friendly appearances, even in 2022. Yeah. Um, unless with the outside chance that Deschamps is still manager and Kunku has grown quite a bit and he needs uh, he needs another Musa Sissoko type. Now, and Kunku's a lot better than Musa Sissoko, but you know what I mean. Just kind of yeah. a hard-working well, mid-table player. Uh, and I find, when I've watched in Kunku, I, I'm not sure he's a guy that you can put in a midfield battle and he'll win it. Like, I just, I, I don't see him as that type of player. I see him as a little more flat, a little more of a flashy version of Matuidi in that he'll run for you. He'll get, he'll get himself into scoring opportunities. Now he's a better, again, better than Matuidi in the sense that he can finish a little better than Matuidi could. But you see him as a guy who can get himself in the right positions. I think he's better off the ball than I think, people give him credit for. I think he's able to kind of find spots where he can get to, but I don't see him as sort of a worker in that Marco Verratti type where he's going to be on the ball and he's going to break off defenders and he's going to dribble through. I just, he doesn't feel like that type of player. And I think if France are short of anything, they're definitely not short of those types of players. Now let's talk about the, one of my favorite players, Levin Kurzawa, and his sort of um, descent over the last um, two, three years. Now, there's this sort of anti-PSG bias where people go, well, players, good players go to PSG to die. And that's obviously not true, except maybe in this case. I think Levin Kurzawa has been worse and worse as he's gone along. Now, have the injuries sort of sapped him of a little bit of his um, spark? I'm not necessarily sure. That injury last year was not handled well. They didn't do the right thing by him, I don't think. But this year, he's just been poor. And I think so poor defensively that the guy they brought in to sort of compete with him, Yuri Berchiche, has just taken the job more, and I, I think Yuri's done some really good things, and we'll get to him in a minute. I but, like Yuri. Yeah, but Kurzawa really lost that job more than Yuri wanted, in the sense that the reason Kurzawa's not there anymore, and he's barely playing, is he just makes too many mistakes defensively. Can France, I mean, I think he's going to make the 23-man. I think he's going to be either make the 23-man or he's going to be one of the last three, four left out. But can he get it together for a potential spot on that team? Because right now it is in a little bit of danger, more than you would have thought maybe a year or two ago. Yeah, I gotta be honest. I don't think I don't think Kurzawa makes it. His form has been nothing short of abysmal, um, and everybody knows it. Um, I the the question comes with fitness. Um, because there's obviously there, there's Mendy, um, who is ideally when he's fit, uh, you know France is number one. Uh, well, I guess number two or number three is left back. Um, and then you have Luca Digne, who has not impressed really anyone, uh, but has also not been catastrophic. He's just been quite average. Um, and at, at this point, France will take average fullbacks because they tend to be just absolutely... I mean, look, nobody wants to go into the World Cup with, like, Tremolinas at left back. Um, you know, it's, it's just... It's been string and, and after string of mediocre fullbacks ever since ever retired. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I 
I think if it's a fitness crunch, Kurzawa will be begrudgingly taken. But if there are other left backs fit, um, I think you're you're even liable to see Laporte um, at left back uh, before before you rely on Kurzawa for you know the entire competition. Um, you know there is Benjamin Pavard. Um, if, if if he can make um, yeah. if he can make right back, I, I take all those guys over Kazal right now. I just feel like he's a player that's his confidence is shot, and he needs to go to another place. He needs to play consistently, and yes. he needs to he needs to learn how to defend again. Um, yeah. Presnel Kimpembe, who is firmly going to be behind, uh, I would put him as their third or fourth center back. So we're talking about Umtiti and Varane. They're going to start. Then Koscielny, and I would put Kimpembe probably on Deschamps' list. He's fourth. I'd put him ahead of uh, Koscielny. But he's definitely going to make the squad. And I'm thinking he's going to see some minutes, depending on the type of situation in the game, uh, what's going on. Yeah, and I I forgot that Kimpembe also is a left-back option, and he's played left-back before uh, for us in in moments of... Um, situational necessity. You know, he's, he's, uh, I love Kipembe. Everybody loves Kipembe. Uh, I loved your, your tweet. He's out there dressed like Velveteen Dream. Um, I mean, it's uncanny. Yeah, he's, <laughs> Kipembe is larger than life. You know, even the non-PSG fans, they know him from that, that video of him uh, laughing at him calling Mbappe Donatello and just laughing his head off for really no discernible reason. But he, he looks like a real character. He's already capped for France. Um, and there's really no doubt in my mind that he'll be called up because his form, well, his form recently maybe has taken a dip, but uh, his form all year and his growth um, is to the point where, you know, there's there's not a huge step down when you drop Silva and you bring Kipembe in. You know, this is this guy is someone who can shore up PSG's defense for a long time. And um, I, I agree. Here's an interesting one. Alphonse Ariola. He's probably the third keeper. I would think he's probably safe in that spot. But if you've watched Tottenham lately, uh, and you've watched some of the France qualifiers, Lloris has not been great. Yeah. He's been struggling. And you look at the second goalkeeper, who is right now at Stev Mandanda, but he's hurt. He's been out for the last month. So is Alphonse Ariola, who at the beginning of this year in July was the second goalkeeper behind Kevin Trapp, who we'll get to, is he kind of, I wouldn't say backed his way, because I don't think he's backed his way. I think he's been really good at times. I don't think he's been world-class in the sort of the Neuer, um, De Gea, um, Alisson way, but he's been a good enough goalkeeper where I think all the noise about PSG going to get another guy to play goalkeeper, I think that's been quieted a little bit because Ariola, quite frankly, is a cheaper option for for what they're going to need to spend or what they're going to be able to. And he, he, quite frankly, has been good enough. And now let's bring that to the World Cup. Does he have a chance to start a World Cup game? Because I think he might, depending, again, on the circumstance. Um, I think... In the context of the World Cup, like, I, I mean, for me, the, the Lori's flashback, and I, I am, by the way, a, a closet, you know, Tottenham fan. I, I, I follow Tottenham uh, just because, just, just for the sake of having an English team to talk about. Um, and it's part of the reason that I have such disdain for, for Liverpool at times. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, I think 
Loris's big howler is is that last Euro final, and that's something that you know people are going to be continuously thinking about um, as he as he starts his way through the qualifiers, and and you know it, some of his recent blunders have been very high profile. Um, I think if he has if he costs France points in the group stage, you know another visible high profile error. Um, looking at uh, your reserve keepers, you know, who's who's on better form? You know, I think between, like, Mandanda and, and Ariola, you, you have to take Ariola. Yeah. Um, as amazing as that is to say. Yeah, I think he's going to be called up because, really, there's no one better than him right now. Um, I, I, I believe he's been, he's been called up before, um, just hasn't, you know, hasn't uh, played. Um but yeah, I, I think I think he has a chance um, to make that spot his own because Loris is on kind of the the, the declining period of his career, um, and as Loris gets phased out of the of the national team, um, you know it's not as if Mandanda's getting any younger. Uh, there are going to be other contenders, uh, Lafont for example, uh, has a lot of potential. Um, but if Ariola keeps performing at the level that he's been performing at, then he can certainly make that number one spot his own, at least for a little while, um, until someone else who's a little bit more exciting uh, comes along. Because unless Ariola makes a huge step up, I think we're going to look at him in the future like kind of a mandanda, someone who's capable at a very, you know, upper mid-card level, yes. uh, but not necessarily, not necessarily a main eventer. Well put. Um, let's talk about Adrian Rabio. Uh, backup, backup midfielder. He's going to get minutes. I, I'm pretty sure he's going to get minutes. I would say the last two months he's looked like a shell of himself, and I think that's partly because he never gets breaks. Like I, he he plays nearly every game, and I think he's struggling with that right now. I'm not sure he's in the shape to play all those games. I don't think he has necessarily the body type to do so. And I think if he could get a good three, four weeks off before the World Cup, yeah. he'll have a chance to make an impact. But uh, he's still backup player here, I think, to me. He's going to need... He's going to need weeks off before the World Cup, and he's going to need weeks off afterward. He's really going to need weeks off afterward. Because you're right, the criticism of Rabio recently has been very fair. I think it's been harsh uh, because if you really look at it in perspective, what Rabio still does is he presses, and even if he's not the most positionally astute at times, uh, you know he can win the ball back. He can get stuck in in midfield, and he can move it on to a more creatively apt player. Sure, he'll pass the ball errantly once in a while, but what I'm saying is he's basically just Matuidi. He's devolved into Matuidi, like late, late stage Matuidi yeah. in PSG. Which I'm fine with. I mean, it's it's okay. Uh, but yeah, the guy is tired. I don't think it goes farther than that. I think he's just totally burned out, and he knows the season's over. I mean, you know, it is. Uh, you, all you have left to play for is a points record, and when you look at yourself and the state of your body going into the World Cup, I can't blame the guy for having priorities. You know. Yeah, he's he's taking it. He's, he's making business decisions. Sorry, he's making business decisions. Yeah, yeah, very simple. Yeah, and I think he'll play. Yeah, he'll play. And uh, last but not least for France, Kylian Mbappe. Yeah, I mean, got the number ten. That's not just a symbol. 
uh, well, I guess it is literally a symbol, but yeah. uh, it, it does have certain concrete guarantees. Uh, he, he's going to play, he's going to start, he's going to be that attacking spark. Um, there were questions because um, Usman Dembele is very capable on the right wing and, and all that, but I think we'll see um, Mbappe on the right wing and then a spot of Dembele, a spot of Lamar here and there, um, assuming Lamar makes the squad. Yeah, I, on the other way. Yeah, I think this is. I think if if Deschamps knew what he was doing, I think they have to figure out a way to get Mbappe, Griezmann, and Dembele to start and to play to play with each other. Yeah. Like I think that's the formation of the future. That's what that's what would carry them in this World Cup. It'll carry them in the next World Cup, possibly the World Cup after that one. And I think this sort of. Uh, I guess, we, for lack of a better term, this sort of baby bottle um, obsession with Giroud, where he has to go to Giroud. And yes, Olivier Giroud is very capable of scoring goals, but he slows the entire thing down. And he, and he it just like, I feel like France has to move on from that. I think he can come in as a sub, but I genuinely feel like, I get, I get that he's 19, but he's not a normal 19-year-old. You have enough talent around him where it's not going to be all completely on him. I think you play him centrally. You play Griezmann and Dembele off of him, and you just let and you just let the let the horses run, and you don't sort of slow him down with this sort of okay, we got to get our eight to ten long balls into Giroud. But that's just me. Um, let's move on to Brazil, and let's do Brazil as a package. So Thiago Silva will probably start at center back. Marquinhos will either start with him or be the third guy at center back. Danny Alves will play right back because they really don't have another right back option that's Danny Alves. Yeah, and he's Danny Alves, so he's going to play. And Neymar. So let's take them as a package and let's talk about what your expectations for them are in this World Cup and with a extra emphasis on Neymar? Well, just in terms of defenders, um, I think I think with Danny Alves, you can expect a better showing than you've seen in, in previous weeks. I could be completely wrong. He could be honestly past it. Uh, but I think I think Alves is a player who, who needs to be severely motivated and what will certainly, not almost certainly, be his last World Cup for Brazil um, in a prominent role. Um you know, that, I think this is about as good of a motivator as you can get. Um, so hopefully, Alves will will improve on how he's how he's been used uh, recently. Um, you know, Silva and Kimpembe, uh, sorry, uh, and Marquinhos. Um, yeah, you know, I just assumed that the junior the junior center back is called Kimpembe. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I don't really have much to say there. I know I know Silva is caught up in, in drama, but he's he's good enough to make the squad. He's good enough to play. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he is dropped for Marquinhos. Um, but you know, they, they they will be good. They're always they're always good uh, to some degree. Yeah, and um, just they, sorry to, to cut you up. The one thing I'll say about Marquinhos is that he's been hurt for five months. And it was weird, like, he was out for the three weeks, or the, the two weeks before the, uh, actually, he got hurt in the same game Neymar did. And he somehow played in that 
Champions League second leg, but then he didn't play again for like four weeks, which makes me think that he played on whatever in whatever quad tear he had. He played he played ninety minutes with a quad tear, and not a big one, but like a light like a like a grade one quad tear, which is not easy to do. Like, right. so I'm not sure what his fitness is going to be because you still see that he's not making regular starts for them. Yeah. I do think he'll play. Yeah. Uh, I think he's going to the World Cup. I don't think that's currently in doubt. Yeah. Um, but yeah, his fitness may may come into question there. Uh, speaking of fitness, Neymar. Yep. Um, which is kind of the big one. I would be surprised if he's used in any serious capacity um, at the urgings of the of the Brazilian FA. Um, you know, he he needs to get a little match fitness back before the yeah. World Cup, but. He's not. He's not going to want to risk his body in any serious capacity um, because this is now what he's focused on. It's most certainly not the end of the season uh, with PSG. Um, I mean, it's, it's it's wrapped up in a way, and it's just not consequential compared to uh, compared to what he could do in in Brazil. Um, his role is still going to be, um, you know, that that. It's really not even in question. I mean, he's going to be the starting, um, you know, primary playmaker. He's going to be the the kind of alpha and omega of the team, um, as he was in the last World Cup. And, and his aim really will be to to maintain his fitness, um, which is a big concerning because because he was out. He got knocked out of the last one um, by that uh, uh, that Colombian player. That that undercut uh, tackle. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just say about Neymar, I think PSG, I, I think part of the reason PSG signed Neymar, there were a lot of reasons, and I've and I've gone over them in nauseum. But one of the other reasons is again that same sort of Ronaldinho factor we talked about earlier on the show, which is here's this mega superstar. He is probably him and Messi, him, Messi, and Ronaldo are the three stars. They're still the three right. stars. And one of the three stars in the biggest competition in the world plays for your club. And I think the idea in the long run is that if they keep Neymar that this long, which is a possibility, but I would say it's like it's a it's a 40, 60 possibility. Uh, My uh, just for the record, my my guess is about three years. So we've already we're already one year through that. But um if they can get him to stay around for Qatar 2022, then you have the number one star in the game at that point. Messi will be past his prime, and so will Ronaldo. Yes, they they eventually will be past their prime. Thank God. And you'll have the biggest star in your home country in Qatar's in Qatar playing for the team that Qatar playing for his national team. Oh yeah, and he's. On the his club team is the team that Qatar owns. That's the perfect scenario. Now, if they can get that to happen, I don't know. But this is to me sort of PSG's dream starting to come to fruition here, in the sense that you get Neymar not just to win you domestic trophies in the Champions League, you get him to represent your brand in the World Cup, and that's part of the reason why he's here. And I, I think people have to understand that when they talk about, oh, well, PC didn't win the Champions League, so it's obviously a failure. No, it's not. Financially, this thing is a this thing's a gold mine. And the longer PSG can ride the the ride the gravy train, the more the the happier they'll be. 
So I, I just always like to make that clear because I think some people tend to forget that. Let's move on to Argentina. And the this is an interesting group of three here. Yes. Angel Di Maria, your boy. Uh, Javier Pastore, actually your boy. And Giovanni Lo Celso. Let's start with the old guys and then we'll finish off with the uh, the new Argentinian pearl. New boy. The new the new the young boy. To use a New Japan reference. <laughs> uh, I am well. I guess if, if we're talking old boys in terms of age, then it's Di Maria. If we're talking old boys in terms of like presence at the club, it's it's Pastore. I'll start with Di Maria. Um, you know, it is is it is it is an open secret that he's my that he's my favorite player. Um, but yeah, no, he's he's fitness permitting. He will make the squad again. Uh, he is. He's a workhorse. Um, to be honest, I haven't followed much of Sampaoli's Argentina, uh, so I don't know what capacity he'll be used in. I know um, I know previous coaches just liked him as an option, whether in midfield or out on the left, um, because he can he can run, he can press, and he'll save that for 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 those knockout stage games. Um, but he is. Yeah, he, he, his biggest flaws aren't really as exposed on an international stage, I don't think. Um, I, I know that he is still a frustrating figure to a lot of Argentinian fans, uh, just because he doesn't, he just doesn't do what he can do as often enough. Uh, but I, I certainly think he'll be involved more than Pastore. Pastore might make the team, I am dubious. Um, he made the last uh, Copa America and played um, in kind of a deep lying role. I I I enjoyed him there. I thought that was like a, a, a portent of things to come at PSG. But that was a few years ago, and yeah. um, that was kind of going off one of Pastore's peak seasons in yeah. Paris. Um, and then it was kind of just downhill from there. Um, I love Pastore a lot, but frankly, he is on his way out, and I've come to accept that. Uh, his skill set just doesn't really fit in the team. He's he's a, a player who is a liability because of his injury record. Um, he is a player who really needs a fresh start um, at a team that's more forgiving, that has more uh, more frequently available opportunities. I would be very 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 surprised. Uh, I would I would no I I'd be very unsurprised if he went back to Italy because um, there is always the potential that an English team will just buy a player uh, yeah. that is not. That, that, that can happen. Uh, but for me, his preferred move is probably going to be to Italy. Um, you know, an upper mid-table, or, or, you know, even challenging for continental qualification, that's where he should be. Um, he's a very talented player, just needs, uh, needs a squad that he can get back into once he's out of it, uh, which is the spot he finds himself in now. Lo Celso, I think, unfortunately, will take Pastore's place in the squad. I think he, if he doesn't make the actual 23, he'll make the preliminary squad. Lo because he's just very versatile. He showed that he has buckets of potential, and he's the kind of creative player that, that a, a coach like Sampaoli would would want. Um, you know, he's he's really improved that work rate. He's really improved that that um, defensive mind, and his ceiling offensively is unfortunately higher than than Pastore. So, uh, despite my affection for El Flaco, I am going to have to probably make way for room in my heart for uh, Lo to be a, a proper presence in the team. Yeah, and. Yeah, and if I and if I can just say this, I think if there's one thing that Unai Emery has done well, oh yeah, it yeah. is the sort of integration of Lachelso. It's been slow, but he's gotten this player who 
PSG sort of took as a it was it was during that sort of it was last year during that sort of uh, Patrick Clivert um, era of transfers and it just the it, weird market the, the weird yeah and they just sort of picked this guy up and he didn't really play last year and Emery's just sort of slowly integrated him in and got him to a point where he started the biggest game of PSG season at uh, central defensive midfielder. Now, was that the right decision? It may not have been. It probably was. And I didn't think there were many great options in that situation. Yeah, it was kind of a lose-lose, and he didn't play super well. But Yeah, but you know what? He's got to play in those games, and he's got to learn to fail in them before he can learn to succeed in them. But right now, I think Giovanni Lucelso is at that point. I wouldn't say a, a better point than where Lucas Mora was, in the sense that Lucas Mora was a competent league on player. But he, was, he wasn't much more than a competent league on player. Lachelso has the potential to be one of the better players in Liga. The question is, can he translate that into being a great European Champions League player? Is he that type of player? Or is he a guy who is going to start or play a lot of games for a very good European team like PSG, but not necessarily be at that elite level? And I think only time will tell when it comes to that. I'm not very high on Argentina, honestly. I, I think they're a team that, if Messi's not doing it, no one is. And I think yeah, no, I, I, they're an oldish type. They're an oldish type of team. They have Nicolas Otamendi playing center back for them in 2018. They have Gonzalo Higuain, who's starting to become one of the more, uh, I wouldn't say overrated, but yeah, he's at that point where I think people are starting to realize that he's not the best. He wasn't as good as his uh, transfer fee may have suggested yeah, he's that not he a was. Triple digit player. Yes. So I don't expect much from them. Let's go on to Germany. We'll first talk about Kevin Trapp, and we'll, we'll keep it quick, and then we'll talk about an interesting um, an interesting player in Julian Draxler. Trapp might be third goalkeeper. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> they have a lot of goalkeeping talent. I, I I think Neuer is back on the pitch now, so he would yeah. be number one. Um, and then they've got they've got guys like Leno. They got Ter Stegen. Um, yeah, they got Ter Stegen. Um, and I mean, if you look at Leno and Ter Stegen, I think they both probably deserve the two and three spot of the World Cup more than Trap does yeah. right now. I, you know, and I I've called Trap um, at times. I've called him Mister Six One. And I know that's a little harsh on my part, but there's something to be said about how sort of deer in the headlights he looked in that game. And just sort of how you realized at that point, well, yeah, he's a he's a good goalkeeper in, in a, to a degree, but he's not a take-you-to-the-next-level guy. And I think that's what PSG thought they were getting when they offloaded Sebastian C- uh, Not that... Uh, I keep going back to Sebastian... Salvatore, thank you. I'm sorry. I'm looking at it on Wikipedia right now. Salvatore, yeah, I, I shouldn't confuse the two. Yes, when they offloaded Salvatore Sirigu and they replaced him with Trap, I think they expected Trap to be a number one in Europe goalkeeper, and he's not that. He's just not that guy. So I look at him as if he. That much. It was a little gamble, and now he, he, I mean, he's, he's a capable second keeper. Yeah, he's a he's a bench rider at the World Cup, and that's okay because if Germany win, he's going to get himself a World Cup medal. He's going to get to hold the trophy, take a picture with it. 
he, you know, it's not bad to be Kevin Trapp. Kevin Trapp has no. a decent life for more than even that. Yeah, I mean, look, he's more attractive than I'll ever be, so I don't think yeah. Kevin Trapp is unhappy. And apparently his dating life is not that bad either. Let's talk about Julian Draxler, who is going to be... He's interesting, because he's either going to be on Germany's bench and make the occasional appearance, or I feel like he's going to be the guy that lights this whole thing on fire. He has the potential to do that. And I think he's been getting better as the year has gone on, by the way. I think I think he's been vastly underrated by the fan base this year. I think he's one of those players that when he's turned on, I think he's one of the more gifted sort of players in the world yeah. in that he's one of the smartest footballers I've ever seen. Like, he's a guy that genuinely knows what pass to make, where to be, He's rarely out of position. He's rarely doing something stupid. And his touch is just heavenly. Yeah, he's got a phenomenal touch. And, and he has all those qualities. His worst feature is his ability to drift out of a game. Yeah. Just as much as it is to, to like, you know, be able to decisively influence it. Which is why he is suited, I think, more as a forward than, than a midfielder. Um, at least a, a deep-lying center midfielder. I think if there's a coach who can get... Next year will be a decisive one for Draxler. I don't think we're selling Draxler. I think Tuchel is, or, or whoever the coach is going to be, probably Tuchel, yeah. uh, will want a younger squad um, to to mold. And we forget that Draxler is still very, very young. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think I think he'll, he will go because his recent form with Germany has been very good. Uh, he basically won the Confederation, Confederations Cup uh, by himself. You know, he was phenomenal there. And, and I'll just I'll just say this: He better go because I I have his Germany um his Germany jersey right now on my uh in my in my closet the new one so he better go I I, I, I will write I will write some letters of complaint to Joachim Lowe if he doesn't like all my like all my Finn Balor OGBC shirts yes R I P um, yeah uh, yeah I don't know I, I think I think Draxler he he's he's got another decisive year ahead of him and a, a good World Cup run would be very, very good for him. And, and, you know, I think Lau is one of the coaches who is still a big believer in Draxler. Yeah. So. Uh, and again, I think there's see. been games where he's been, I thought that Monaco game, that 7-1 uh, game a couple weeks ago, I thought he was one of the best players on the field. I thought he was, besides Mbappe, he was the best player for PSG. Just decisive, <laughs> making passes, being really. And the thing I like about him, too, is he's won a World Cup as a bench warmer in 2014. He was the captain of that 2017 Confederations Cup team, for whatever that's worth. So he's not going to shrink from the moment. He's not a guy that's going to be overwhelmed by the stage. So I think there's going to be some good things for Draxler. Let's round this out with our last um, with our last few here. Let's talk about Ensign Cavani. Is he a little past his prime to be a key contributor to a Uruguay team that is just... I don't think it's as good as it's been in the past. I think he's going to have to carry it. And I'm not sure he's capable of doing that at this moment. Well, with Suarez seemingly on an early decline and Cavani never really being one of the peak influencers for Uruguay, yeah. um, you know, certainly, certainly a good player, but never quite Suarez's level in the national team. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I mean, he's going to play, but I would be surprised if Uruguay go very far here. It's just, it's not, it's an aging squad. Um, it's, it's got a similar problem to Argentina where it's, you know, it doesn't really have, um, 
it doesn't really have like a, a, an eager core um, to take over from the old guard. Um, so, yeah, Cavani is, is an important figure, um, but I don't know if he's going to be the kind of player who can take, like, just take a squad by the scruff and, um, you know, move all of these 30-plus players, um, 30-plus-year-old players, um, into, like, the, the knockout stages, even. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, the reason they're going to get to the knockout stages is because they're in a group with Russia and Saudi Arabia. But besides that, I don't, I don't see them going much further. Um, Thomas Meunier uh, for Belgium. I think he's their starting right back. Yeah, yeah, he, he has been for a while, and why wouldn't he? I mean, he's he's phenomenal. Needs more time on the team. I think uh, I think Meunier should be starting. Yeah. Uh, for for club and country, but he will certainly start for country. And if he makes a big impression, I hope he can come back and, and carry that momentum into the next season for club. I think he I think he will because I think what'll happen is the next coach will. I think Alves is still valuable for PSG. I just think he. I think honestly, I think Emery was on to something when he had Alves up at the right wing. I think he can come into games as a right winger and sort of dictate tempo, dictate pace, help them keep possession. So I wouldn't mind Alves moving up permanently there, having Munier start it right back, and then Alec Georgian um, comes in and uh, gives you the relief uh, performances at the at the right back spot. But yeah, I think Munier's I think Munier might even get a nice little goal here for Belgium. Belgium seem to be scoring a lot. They're gonna, I think, get through that um, that group stage, I think he'll. I think he'll have his moments, and um, we'll get to the final groups here. Um, Yuri Berchiche, who's maybe on the fence. I'm not sure he's in that in that Spain squad. I think that Spain squad's too so. deep, but I think he deserves a mention. I like Yuri, but I don't think he makes the squad. Not yeah. when you have uh, Jordi Alba. First of all, has had a phenomenal. I've said that three times now. Uh, but a truly, honestly great season. A return to his peak Barcelona form. As, as good of a season as he's had uh, at, at the club. Um, and a, a large part of that is the need to refresh that left wing with Neymar gone. And he is going to be the starting left back. Then you also have Cesar Azpilicueta, who can play on either um, on either of those flanks. You've got Gerard Piquet, who can who uh, plays center back, and Sergio Ramos, who plays center back and right back. Both of those players have played right back, a lot of right back for Spain. Um, you've got Carvajal, you've got Nacho. Um, it's just hard to yeah. um, it's hard to make that squad, even and, the bench. Yeah, I, and. Yeah, and I think the I think the shame of it is this is probably Yuri's most high profile year. I think he's one of those underrated players who just sort of does his job in in kind of an un uh, an unflashy way, just sort of a workman like. And if there was any year he was going to make it, it would probably be this one. Next time he'll be thirty two, thirty three ish in the next World Cup. Yeah, that's going to be tough for him. And let's yeah, I, I, yeah. I like Yuri, but, but yeah. Um, this is probably his last chance, so he's basically going to be begging for one of those guys to go down with some sort of fitness issue. Yeah. If that happens, he's on the plane. Yes. And in fairness, he is like right there, next to next to all those players at the moment that one of them is out. But that's a big ask. Yeah. And um, let's round it out. We have two more players. 
who will not be going to the World Cup, not because they're not, well, one of them because he's not capable, because he's 36 years old, but Marco Verratti and Tiago Mata, who are both Italian internationals, Italy failing to qualify. Marco Verratti did not play in that last leg of the Sweden playoff because, of course, he I believe it was the yellow card accumulation that uh, came back to bite uh, Marco Verratti once again. So, Marco Verratti, 25, 24, 25 years old, he'll be eligible. He'll be 28, so he'll be still basically in his prime the next time Italy go have a chance to be at the World Cup, and I, they'll probably make it um, the next time. Um, a quick word on Verratti and just sort of his international outlook, because obviously Thiago is not going to play in any more international games anymore. Let's talk about Marco Verratti quickly before we head off into the sunset. Yeah, Mata's, Mata's done, you're right. Um, that's that's the wise thing for him to do. Verratti, well, I hope this isn't his prime, because that would be disappointing. Um, he's got more to him, I hope. Uh, yeah. But he's, he, he has hit a, kind of a plateau. Um, so he... This is going to have to be a year, a year of reflection. Um, and by the way, Timothy Weah won't make it either because I'm. Oh yeah, I was gonna get. So. Yeah, let's well, let's spend a couple minutes on him after we talk about Verratti. It's uh, worth talking about. Yeah, Verratti. Um, it's I guess it's a shame to have Italy miss out, um, but you know he's got as much of a fault in that as anyone. It, it's that damn disciplinary streak of his yeah. that um, he just can't seem to shake. And if he can't find a, a more serious mode to to walk around in, then I I don't know I I I don't know um, if he's got a bigger ceiling than this. And if he doesn't, then I think this is a decisive summer for him because that this whole thing where you're you're one of the biggest players in the team signing a new contract every year and then if you don't like it your agent drums up the uh, drama doesn't work anymore because you the team has suddenly outgrown you very very quickly. Um, you know, I, I think that can be argued if it's truly outgrowing or, or not, but certainly the team now has several players that are bigger than Verratti. Um, and in that sense, you know, he's he either tightens up his game or he honestly sees uh, sees uncertain future uh, at the club. Agreed. Um, quickly on Wea, I, I am so high on him, not only as a potential good player and a potential starter down the road. I think as the, as Christian Pulisic is done for Dortmund, I think Wea can do the same thing for PSG. And I think he wasn't going to make the World Cup squad in 2018. I just don't think he's old enough. But 2022, if the United States are going to come back and make that World Cup, Timothy Wea is going to be a big part of that. And there's a real potential. Now, again, it, depending on what you think Neymar is going to do, that PSG will have Neymar leading Brazil, Kylian Mbappe leading France, and Timothy Weah leading the United States. There's some marketing in that. Yeah. But just talk quickly on Weah, because I'm not sure we've gotten your opinion on Weah in any sort of uh, <laughs> podcast yet. So let's get your opinion on that, and we'll leave on that. Yeah, I think... Um... I think I think I've I'm a little less hot on Wea than others. Not that I don't think he's a, an exciting player in a way, um, but I think there's just a bit of 
there is a bit of, of cynicism there. Well, like, if he was American, would he be getting the same chances? Because we certainly have very talented, talented young players um, who don't make the bench, who do not play, because there's not the same kind of international reach. Now, you know, it's not that I don't understand that, because you, when you have an exciting young American prospect, also the son of a head of state, it's hard to pass up that. Like, and not everybody has that opportunity. And if, if you have the opportunity to develop that kind of talent and put and invest time into making that a, a, a potential top player, then, you know, you have you have a real moneymaker on your hands. Um, but I think, I think Pulisic showed more... Um, than Wea has right now. Maybe it's just opportunities, um, but I, I I think next year maybe we'll see how uh, another coach uh, can can integrate Wea into the team to see see just how serious of, of a prospect he is, and uh, from there we can really start pos- positing like, well, we might actually have a proper American player on the team, and that would be just because PSG are bigger than Dortmund. Um, you know that's. That's 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 not a controversial thing, I don't think. Um, you can you can argue about history, but PSG are a bigger team than Dortmund. Yeah. Um, and to have a player like to have an equivalent to Pulisic, even in a similar role, would be humongous for growing the team in the U.S. And, and the U.S. is a very very big market. Uh, David, perfect. Um, thank you for coming on. Uh, plug your Twitter and anything else you might uh, be working on in the future, if anything. Uh, well, you can donate to my personal PayPal. Um, no, um, I'm I'm at Munirist on on Twitter. Uh, I am a I, I don't write as much for PSG Talk as I as I used to, um, but it's, it is certainly still where, where I have the time. You know, I, I'm in I'm in the big podcast, uh, which you are welcome to come back on uh, at any time you desire. Thank you. Um, but otherwise, yes, thank you for having me. It's been very it's been very fun. Um, you know, I always like to hear myself talk, so I love I love these guest spots, um, and I hope the I hope the rest of the the whole World Cup project comes together uh, as well as the the ones I've listened to have. And uh, you've been a big part of that. You um you kind of got just a little behind the scenes quickly. You kind of helped uh, really sort of get that uh, PSG small talk deal off the ground. And if it wasn't for you, I probably wouldn't be doing this right now. So thank you very much, David, for and. For yourself, this has been um, PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon and your World Cup po- uh, World Cup Project podcast host saying au revoir for now. Thank you for listening to the World Cup Project. Our next episode will feature PSG Talk founder Ed and our discussion about the problems with the World Cup and the potential solutions for them. The theme for the World Cup project is provided by Dutch supergroup Orgel Vretten, whose fantastic music you can listen to on iTunes and Spotify. This show was brought to you by PSG Talk, the number one news and opinion site for all things Paris Saint-Germain in English. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for more information on upcoming World Cup project episodes. And as always, this is your host, Mark Damon, saying once again, au revoir for now.